This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast with me, your host, Sam Carroll. And today I am joined by Chris Beasley, Gav Buckland and Paul Wheelock with Phil Kirkbride and Adam Jones unavailable for selection today. What a day to not be available for selection for us. <laughs> on high weekend. Yeah. yeah, I think it's probably a, a sensible decision today. We're going to be chewing the fat over the defeat to Sheffield United. Also talk about Marco Silva's team selection in that game. Where it leaves the manager and his position following the defeat. And a massive week for the manager starting tomorrow at Sheffield Wednesday. Lads, I think as we're walking in here, Paul says it's going to be like free therapy. Chris, you were at the game hmm. Yeah. At the weekend, I mean, we were all sat here on Friday and we were all in a pretty upbeat mood. From start to finish, it almost just kind of, we, we weren't terrible by by any means, but once they got that first goal, we never really looked like a team who, who was willing to fight and overtain that deficit, did we? Unfortunately, it was all so predictable in that over the years, I've seen so many games like that. I mean, yeah. not for a long time, uh, at Goodison but yeah it was sort of reminiscent of that in that Everton took the game to them uh, the Lions shared the possession I'm told they had more possession than Manchester City had in their 8-0 win over Watford but they didn't do absolutely anything um, with it Um, I don't think Sheffield United's goalkeeper had actually a proper save to make a couple of easy takes a few um, crosses he had to to catch but yeah um, all that possession they didn't do anything with it and uh, inevitably there's you know the sucker punch one corner it's in the back of the net on goal, and I think Sheffield United end up scoring two goals from one shot on target. So, yeah, it's just ridiculous, really. And then in the second half, he made the changes. He seemed to he wanted it to look like he was being proactive, get more attacking players on the pitch, but I mean, he just ended up a mess of players yeah. all over the shop. And yeah, they didn't look like they were going to, if they were still playing now, they didn't look like they were going to score a goal. So, yeah, very deflating and uh, very disappointing because we see now Chelsea, Man United both slip slipped up again and you know it is an opportunity for Everton this season or certainly should have been and they're nowhere near where they need to, where they should be Gav as, as our resident statistician <laughs> how, how many times have Everton gone in a half time losing without the opposite team actually having a shot it was very <laughs> very Everton that wasn't it not many times we got beat at Man United in uh, February 2001 where we got beat 1-0 they didn't have a shot on target all game that was uh, Steve Watson on goal. That's the only one I can compare to uh, to Saturday, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can only say what uh, Bees has said there to me. it's I was looking at something last night that said this season we've had like almost twice as many shots and chances as our opponents, but we've won two and lost, lost three, which points at the fact that we're getting in and around the box, but our final ball, our creativity is virtually... Not zero, but it's far less than what you would expect. The number of times we lose possession in the final third, you know, pass to the opposition player and stuff is just, uh, you know, unreal. Richarlison being one of the way, I mean, Richarlison's like passing and, you know, crossing is is dreadful for a Brazilian international to single somebody out. And that was a recurring thing for me on on, on Saturday. Um, That I know we're going to talk about team selection, but and it was the same as Bournemouth. The wrong pass at the wrong time, or passes that are ten yards over it. Easy yeah. passes that are go to an opponent, you know. And th- once we do that against Sheffield United, they can just, with all due respect to them, they can just clear the lines, card, they can get the ball further up the pitch, and you know, start all over again. And that was just the theme for me on on Saturday. No, I'm not. 
what I can say is there's no lack of effort. I didn't see some team that wasn't fighting or whatever. Yeah. It's just that. that is that, is that of, more? What do you know? That's a fair point. That's a very, very fair point. Somebody was saying, like, I can't remember a few people saying, oh, this is like Cumin's last days and stuff like that. No, it isn't. They'd obviously gone, hadn't he, on Cumin's final, final three or four weeks in charge. Well, Cumin knew that because he just gave up shaving, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I feel um, like him. <laughs> I think somebody said he looked like Steve McFadden. I think it was one of the things that after one of his bad days in uh, EastEnders, that, that's Wheelow, not Kermit, that bad way. And that's to the last two games, that's been the most frustrating thing for me. That old hackneyed old phrase, the lack of quality in the final third. Paul, you were at the, the game at the weekend and I've been able to use my season ticket much with, with being in the air. What, what do you think... Did, did, was you one who managed to make it to the end? Did you stay to the end? No, we did leave in the in the final Sacrilege. ten minutes. Be, be maybe. What, sorry, Paul. You, <laughs> you would have seen you me go. You would have seen me go. You get a chance. What, <laughs> on, what what was the general sense of the the mood from the supporters inside? Was it was it was it anger? Was it apathy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you talked about booing, and obviously there was booing at the end. But I think some people just so dejected and lethargic about the whole ex- experience. Yeah, I mean. Because of the nature of the game, so it was Sheffield United scored the second goal. Everyone knew it was that was it. I mean, I I stayed to the end, but there was never any thought there was any some stirring comeback on the way. Yeah, it was it was it was game over, and um, you, you could tell. Like I said that all the chances that they they try and fashion, they didn't look close to scoring an equaliser at all. Paul, in terms of of the game, and I think we we spoke about spoke about it a little bit this morning. Is it sometimes do you just think does this team you know we've kind of assembled a, a quite expensive team and, and a team that on paper is quite high quality but for too many years now are we just missing players with a little bit of guile and a little bit of to kind of put it simply a little bit of bottle? Sadly, I, I probably agree with you and I think that's uh, underlined by the statistics that's pretty well worn now regarding silver when the team goes behind it doesn't seem to be able to find a way back and and win the game and. That you know, some of that fault will lie in Marco's door because he's the manager after all, and it's up to him to make changes within the game and not just between games and before games. But yeah, it's it's the players as well. Like I, I'm with you, Gav. I don't think there was a lack of effort there, but I just felt there was a, a lack of belief. And like six mm. games into the season, that's pretty concerning. And you know, we'd won six previous home games for that. You'd take six straight wins and a defeat any day in a yeah. week throughout the course of a season, but. It, it was the continuation of bad things that I'd seen at Bournemouth, at Aston Villa, and even Crystal Palace. Like, you know, like, to say, the Crystal Palace game, like the Villa game, like certain aspects of the Bournemouth game. Actually played okay first 25, 30 minutes, but once the ideas yeah. ran out, I, a few people around me, including my dad, said... God knows what's going to happen if they score first. Because that's the kind of belief. It, there was never really like any bad blood or bad atmosphere in the stands, was there? Mm. The support was there. But there is more and more people now going, well, what happens if we fall behind there? Because, A, I think there's a problem with the, not the team spirit, but like, as you say, that belief, that maybe bottle. But Gav, Gav rightly pointed out, we could have all the ball in the yeah. world and we just don't look like scoring. Because we can't play. But one thing that we've seen with Silver since the start of last season is we really struggled against teams that are so-called inferior to us, trying to break them down or sit deep. And you've got to uh, you've got to show that guy like we're talking about, Sam. And, um, you know, in those games, if you don't score early, then 
Paul was saying, we've we, we, we struggled, man. That's happened really since the start of the last season. And that's got to be addressed. I mean, the worrying thing for me as well, and we're talking about the home record, is I can think of millions of examples where a team's great at home, poor away, or vice versa. I mean, once you start being good at one of those, yeah, they, they don't all of a sudden pick up, you know, pick yeah. up the other, you know, and that's the thing. Um, so we've we've re- and we've really got to see like Saturday in that context. I think the the, the sort of um, poor poor away form has been sort of sort of overshadowed or whatever the word is for by a good good home form. Since the good home form stops, then that's when the alarm bells mm-hmm. started to ring. Yeah. I think on uh, on Saturday. Um, it's it's no coincidence. I was going to mention this that if we'd have won on Saturday, the last time, the last two times we've won seven home games on the bounce. One was under Cumin, where we won one out of seven away, <laughs> and the previous time under Moyes yeah, in 2000, yeah. we won none out of seven away from home. So that just shows you. Um, but yeah, I, I come out of the game. I did the fan cam after the game, and I don't think I've ever been so monosyllabic in answers in my life. Was all yeah, no, because I was just so annoyed and unusual for me, very almost angry mm. with uh, with the way things had gone, and that was really disappointing. Do you think that's that's what it's turning to now, though, B? Is it, again, you know, similar to that season under Cumin, where we, we spent a lot of money and we brought in the likes of Klassen and, and Sandro and the season didn't go to plan? And I'm not saying, you know, obviously Silver's heading towards the, the same fate that Ronald did eventually, but yeah. it just seems like it's Everton all the time. We kind of put ourselves into this position of, of optimism and we have a, a solid foundation season under a new manager. Yeah. And then we go out <laughs> and build on it and it just kind of crumbles in front of your very eyes and... Judging from from you know stuff like the fan cam and fan reaction on social media, it does just seem to be frustration, but almost tipping towards anger as well. Yeah, I mean we've talked a lot about it. Obviously, Everton's big challenge now, despite all the the money that they've spent, how far ahead the big six are and in, in in their resources. So it's so difficult for Everton to try and play catch up. But then. Below them, they've got all these these other teams, and they're not even doing the business against them. Bournemouth, yeah. um, Sheffield United, one to eleven, you could say. You know, Everton are superior in every department. There, they've got a stronger pl- player there. They um, they've got um, virtually a whole team of, of internationals uh, on on the pitch. Current internationals, a lot of them, and these are the games that they should be winning. These are the opportunities they, they should be taking. I was talking to Michael Ball earlier for his column and maybe he was being a little bit optimistic. But he said, I looked at those fixtures before the start of the season saying, you know, I thought Everton might even have had a 100% record by now. Well, not too sure about that maybe, but certainly doing a lot better than what they are yeah. at the moment. There's been an opportunities for them to go top early on. They blew it at Aston Villa, opportunity to go third if they'd have won at Bournemouth and they've blown that. It is, it is a... Um, a big season in that respect in that Manchester United and Chelsea aren't going to stay poor for a long time, but they're both in a state of flux at the moment. So if you are going to get an opportunity to steal a march, you've got to be quickly and get in there now. And this should have been Everton's years, but already we're not even to the end of September yet. We're thinking, oh, well, they've missed that opportunity. <laughs> Summed up here. Uh, cheers, cheers, Beast, for that. Anyone got any plans? Because we can get off the Next time you want to finish the pod early, we just get these up a bit like that. It's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just make another point to pick on Beast's point? We mentioned it last week, I think, when we did with Alan Marshall. It's like one of the problems, you know, you're talking about being optimistic all the time, Sam. Yeah. And, you know, We've had what four managers since Moyes or whatever it is. That's becoming a problem. You lose and count how many managers mm. you've had. 
is history of football. As I say, history of football is if you if you're a club that doesn't win anything and supporters get increasingly impatient, each succeed manager gets less and less time. Mm. And we are we are now into that territory before the pressure really starts to build on them. Yeah. And you know, we are we are there now. Is that if you if you don't deliver in the first season and a half or season and a quarter, you, Do you think he's at the, the crucial point of his tenure? I don't I don't think so because I I also said that I, I, I we've got to try and break that cycle. But in terms of support or frustration, I, in that context, I can fully understand uh, why why Silver's getting stick and um, fully understand it. Um, but I think we've just got to try and hold our nerve and break that cycle because you just end up doing the same thing again you, and again. Do you not think the frustration comes more, though, from the sense that it's not just the results, is it? What are you all seeing in terms of what is Silver's style? What is Sil- what has what Silver implemented in those 18 months? Because it doesn't seem, apart from in flashes, that there seems to be a general sense of he's building a kind of particular shape or a particular kind of pressing game it all just kind of seems game by game doesn't it you know we, we when we win I don't kind of see that's the silver style that we're winning in I think one of the big frustrations about him certainly with where we were sat on Saturday was about the formation and I know by the end of the game it was a mess and you know if the players understood what was going on fair play to them because I certainly I, I didn't watch him from the stands I just think he's, he's he's almost a bit rigid at the moment. And I think he's probably a bit, I don't know if unfortunate's the word, but we have been playing in a fairly similar style formation for a number of years now from yeah. the back end of Moyes on. And I think people are just becoming a bit sick and tired with it. I'm not saying go to traditional 4-4-2, play two big men up front, but at the moment, partly because of injuries, particularly in midfield and a lack of probably options in defence, it just feels like most weeks we know what the team is and as I said earlier the thing is with Marco Silva if I was being completely honest I'm with Gav I don't think change should be done just for change's sake because I just don't know where it gets you and I think if you could line up the manager like almost Liverpool across the park did with Klopp for Rodgers you you know there's no guarantees in life with managers but you know Mm. you've got a good one lining up yeah that's fair enough, yeah. but we've been here a lot in the past, and it's not exactly. Let's just, let's face it, we're nowhere further down the line than when Martinez was in charge, when Koeman was in charge, or Allardyce. The thing with him, he's probably not got complete overwhelming support because it's been so up and down. Which I suppose some people would say it yeah. would be in your first eight months in charge, but we had the good start to last season. It went very badly awry after what happened at the derby, and then there was a strong start again. And as you both have rightly said it, it lifts optimism and everyone's desperate for some positivity everyone's desperate for some forward momentum and then when you what you've seen in the first games of this six uh, six games this season it just feels like we've lost it already so I, I, I think you've put it perfectly Gav it, the, there should be a bit more patience but I understand why there isn't yeah, and, I I, do. And, and I don't think he's I don't think he's in danger or anything like that because, as you say, he's, he's six games into the season, but I don't think he's secure within the fan base as perhaps he should be because, let's face it, you know, people were coming out the ground on Saturday and we're, you said, like, people coming out, God, I've just had enough of this. And not like knee jerk reactions, just people are a bit fed up, aren't they? Yep. You know, like, there's just no getting away from that at the moment. I think it is. That, as Chris said, like, I think it's our last five Premier League defeats, Newcastle, Fulham, 
Bournemouth. Aston Villa, Bournemouth, yeah. Sheffield United. Right, the, the teams, yeah. Who yeah, should be. That, that's <laughs> not great, is it? Um, and I think that's where some of the frustrations, you know, we played Man City, don't we, on Saturday, which we'll speak about later. We get beat by City at home, yeah, all right. As long as you put in the performance, but getting beat by Sheffield United at home, we were just well organised. And it's just so pretty much. Now, if you play Evans, it's just force Evans to get the ball out wide and then. Yeah. You've not exactly got Tommy Lawton and Dickie Dean in the balls, have you? Like, you know, and then you're just uh, you, you're pretty safe there knowing that unless you don't do your job properly, you're not going to concede because we've got no penetration or ingenuity or guile through the middle of the park and that, that's really costing us. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I've lined her up here and I'll... Um... I'll put it to you first, then Gav, since you're chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems to be kind of yeah. three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have one of them, man. One Monday night football thing. <laughs> Seems to be three kind of sticking points from, or major sticking points from, from Silver's team selection at the weekend. There's whether Morgan Schneiderlin and Fabian Delft both work in the same midfield together. Same midfield together, sorry. Bernard was quite a surprise and inclusion ahead of Alex Awobi. I thought that apart from Bournemouth when the whole team weren't really at the races, Awobi yeah. had been a shining light of the season so far. And playing Moise Keane up front on his own, a young lad against three centre-halves and not really giving him the support that he needs when, you know, he has only just arrived in, in the Premier League. So would, would you say they're the kind of three main things or do you think yeah, there's, there's even more to I add think, to that? Yeah, um, well, Sigurdsson. Mm. I'd add there. Yeah. And I think that's it's just starting on that. Yeah. Is Gilfie, as I said, is a player of moments, isn't he? And if he doesn't provide them moments at least once or twice during a game, which he hasn't been doing this season, yeah. regardless of the fact they cost you 14 million quid, you've got to be saying, actually, um, perhaps you need a bit of a rest and I want to play, you know, it's proper fluid, 4-3-3, which people say Silver prefers. That, that would be... My first point, because um, it's quite clear that um, it's just it's not just not working. Uh, having having them playing there at the moment, and maybe some of the players that we have will be more suited to a four three three. And that was that's one of the things that say about about that uh, formation and and the you know the four two three one. You know, as Bielo said, he stuck to that pretty much continuously since he came here. Sometimes it's been, and he got away with it last not got away with it. Last year it worked because Sigurdsson's scored 13 goals and a few assists, so it worked. When Sigurdsson's not working, then you've got to look and he's not one of them plays you can say, oh, I'll leave him in because he'll make a bit of a difference during the game. If he's not doing them two or three moments, then he shouldn't be playing. No. For me. Um, I think I think he's a big, I think it's a really big issue because there's no doubt in his talents, there's no doubt if you take his goals away from the team, we're a real worse team. But I just don't think on current form and, and, and there were many times last season, but particularly this season, he's contributing anywhere near enough. And I don't pick out any individual players because it was it was a collective failure on Saturday from the manager to every player who, who played. But my biggest gripe with him, given his talent, is he never goes looking for the ball. He's our number 10 and I know he's not a number 10 in the kind of playmaker style that some people think number 10 should be. But I just, it's all. I don't. I don't want to accuse him of hiding because that might be a bit unfair. But I just think, as our one of our best players, he should take that responsibility. And it comes back. It doesn't always have to be about like getting stuck in and, and winning your battles. It's just taking that kind of bravery on the ball, that kind of responsibility when things are going wrong. Yeah. And whatever position he played on Saturday, 
whether it was as a number 10 in the first half or when he went down to the two in, in, in the second half. I just I just didn't see what he did at all on Saturday. And apart from the game against Wolves, when he kind of drifted more to the right and he created mm. a Wobie's goal, I've got to be honest with you, I've watched every game this season, been to the home games and watched the away games. And I'm struggling to think, apart from that Wolves game, yeah. probably first half, a good performance from no. him. And yeah, that's not a good performance, has he? It's becoming the, the elephant in the room, really. With that. Yeah, he scored out of the joint top scorer last season with Richarlison. It was his best ever um, scoring season, I think, in the, in, the, in the Premier League. But like you say, if you, t- if you take that out, he's not a, a player who is going to give you a great deal of, of, of other stuff. And... Um, Given that, like we said, Silva ideally wants to play four three three, he's struggling to do that with Sigerson in the team. And so, going forward, I mean, he's about, I think he's just about to turn thirty years old, isn't he? So you have to wonder um, in the long term going forward just just how he fits in. And it, and it is a, and it's a big issue. Like I said, he's club's um, record signing. I've played uh, paid a lot of money for him, but just just where does he fit in um, going forward? If, if he isn't contributing, maybe it's just a bit of form, and he'll play through it, and he'll come he'll come back in. But mm, you, you do wonder going forward just just where this will take them. Where do you think the kind of reasoning from Silver Paul came from? You know, Bernard over over the Wobi. A Wobi was the strange one for me because he's been probably one of the positives of the season so far. Maybe it was from what Gav was saying earlier. We knew they were going to have a basically ten men behind the ball and three centre backs, and we we do desperately like Guile and and Bernard has probably got that more than say a Wobi. But for me, it goes back to Sigerson. I quite like to see a Wobi centrally. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, Arsenal fans, once you say, we've got a couple in the office here, haven't we? And they we said like, is he a winger? And he said, yeah, he played a lot on the wing, but all the indications that he's better sensibly actually driving at people and yeah. I don't think we have that from the centre of the park and even with Charleston as another player who's been poor so far this season I think I prefer to see him maybe sensibly I'm not saying that's his position but I just think there needs to be some kind of change there Bernard had a poor game I could I could understand this selection in that point but I couldn't understand why Awobi wasn't in the team because he's when we have played okay this season he's probably been at the heart of it Gav, that's something you. Yeah, I, I, yeah. To me, I was baffled. The only reason I thought is well, they play three five two, don't they? More five three two. Where they thought if they play three at the back, give space on either, either side of you know the centre halves. Um, if the full backs push up the pitch, when Bernard is better in that space, then it will be. That's the only thing. The only thing I can think about. But well, we should be playing. In fact, there's not. You would say it should be one of the first teams yeah. on the team sheet. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I was. I'm, I'm with Wheelow. Um, Centre. I'd like to see him through the middle in a four-three-three. You know, um, making things happen in around the box. I think he's been one of the success stories of the season for us. And uh, I was baffled to see him not playing on uh, Saturday. Do you think now as well is a is a good time be to kind of take stock of. Moise Keane, and when, when he first arrived, do you think, you know, even though a lot of people were kind of like, he's 19, let's not expect too much, was it hard not to just expect because of, you know, he came from Juventus, yeah. a massive European club for a big fee, you know, you see these kind of YouTube clips of him yeah. scoring these goals. Mm-hmm. Do you think people have just expected a little bit too much? Or do you think we just need to kind of temper those expectations a, a touch? Perhaps in the short term, but you'd certainly think... In the long term, you, you would be expecting hell of a lot from him. Um, yeah. he, he's, he's come from um, Juventus, very highly regarded there. A lot of their supporters were surprised to see him go. 
Um, I think that's more to do with a short-term thinking of um, let's win something now with Ronaldo while Ronaldo's still at the peak of his powers. But um, yeah, very highly regarded talent, um, one of the best young prospects from Italy. But yeah, it, 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 it's, it's tough. He probably, if he'd have scored like first game of the season, maybe up and running now and he'd have that confidence and might have got a, a couple more. But yeah, you've, you've got to, you can't underestimate what a, what a big thing it is for him moving out of Italian culture for the first time, just 19 years of age. You know, he's got a strong family um, background around him there. And uh, Marcel had said, you know, I'll look after your boy to, to his mother when uh, he first came over there. So yeah, I think it's one of those, isn't that uh, the team are up and down and they're not creating a lot a lot of chances. What he does seem, he, he does seem able to sort of almost sniff out a half chance himself, which is it obviously it, it bodes well. And maybe long term, he, he, once he get you know get gets the um, the feel of the the English game a bit more, he, he will become that almost like that the fox in the the box. But yeah, you've got to maintain those 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 high levels of of, of expectation. But maybe in in the short term, um, got to be a bit more um, sort of re- realistic and. You know, it's not like he's the only forward option in there. I mean, you've got you got Tosin as well as Calvert Lewin, so just just got to be patient, really. I think. Was there a little bit unfair on him on, on the weekend, Paul, to to kind of put him up in a in a struggling side against three centre halves? Did you feel like he was a, a little bit isolated at times? Yeah, massively. I just um, the concern is he he looks a better player than say a Sanzo, but there's similar situations, a young player coming from a different league, very, very young into a struggling team with massive expectations on his shoulders. Not so much, as Chris rightly said, from the supporters, because he's just excited. The young 19-year-old Italian international coming from Juventus, of course, we're going to be excited. But he is young, you know, and if you look at his record for Juventus, he had like a bit of a purple patch when he was thrown into the side at the back end of last season, but he's still learning. And it kind of comes back to the fact that, you know, we still have never signed a centre-forward since Lukaku left all. Well, I suppose we have with Tosin, but again, it's probably turned out to be a bad buy uh, with the greatest respect to Cenk. As regards to Saturday, yeah, like <laughs> if we're going to continuously play the ball down the line and cross balls into the box, that is just not Moise Keane's game. I'm pretty, I think that's fit, pretty certain to say. And if he, he looks, I think I said this on the, the last podcast I was on when I've seen him, he looks quite sharp around the box. As B said, he can sniff out a chance. He's quite sharp. He turns. But we didn't, I can't remember one occasion really where we played him a ball like that in. You know, it's it, no. it's just, it almost feels if we are going to play like that at the moment, you might be best persisting with Calvert-Lewin whose game is more suited to that. And I'm not saying Calvin Lewin's the answer because he's not and he's another young striker learning his, his trade. But yeah. I just don't think we're giving Moise Keane the best chance to, to prosper at the moment. No, I agree. We spoke about that on Friday, didn't we, Sammy? And Friday's yeah. pardon Calvin Lewin or Keane. And there's an argument to say, isn't it, that Keane should have played the ball. Yeah. <laughs> and Calvin yeah. Lewin should have played against yeah. Sheffield United yeah. when he's seen the way the two defences are and set yeah. up and the way they play. Because um, he had a header keen, didn't he, in the first half, which is sort of like service that Calvert-Lewin thrives on. And uh, I agree, I thought it was strange. And, and, and although he got stick, I, I, there, was some, there was a former player, not a former Everton player, um, in, in the press room at half-time who said that Everton needs to have had two up front against their three defenders. Yeah. And, and in, that, in that context, and I agree, I agree, in that context, I could see why he brought two, two, two's on to play sorted. So you've got two in the middle. Because it's a big ask, a 19-year-old lad to play against three disciplined, well-drilled, 
big units. It's you know with not a lot going on around yet. I think that was a major uh, major flaw in our setup on uh, on Saturday. So now looking ahead to tomorrow and, and a little bit on on the manager himself. But you know we we go to Sheffield Wednesday in, in the Carabao Cup and then you know, obviously the champions Manchester City coming off the back of an eight 0 win in their last <laughs> Premier League game. We'll come to, come oh, to on <laughs> Saturday. Silver's biggest week of his of his of his reign. Are we all kind of in agreement with that one? I think more so on on the cup game. There's a, against Manchester City, there's an expectation to to put in a good a good display and um, just give it your all, but no real expectation to get a result out of it. That'd be a bonus. But yeah, the cup. I mean, it was always going to be big anyway. They didn't want to go out of the Carabao Cup early for a second successive season under Silver and um, going away to. Um, Sheffield Wednesday. I think he's, I think he's got to go strong. Um, he made the mistake last season. Southampton, loads of changes, end up getting beat on penalties. So, I'm looking at Sheffield Wednesday. They've only failed to score once this season. I think since the first two games of the season, Everton haven't kept a clean sheet. So, you know, it, it's not straightforward, and um, they've, they've got to go there with with the the, the strongest team and, and and get a result for him. Gav, absolutely, absolutely. It's probably our biggest League Cup game since I went to Oxford all them, oh, uh, wow. all them years ago, isn't it, really, if you think about it? So we've had a, a similar outcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, no replays. Yeah, a couple of, couple of semi-finals yeah. I know we've had in that time, but um, in terms of like, in terms of shaping the manager's future, I, I would definitely say that it, it is. And, and um, full team, I just wonder whether that made the game on Tuesday might have influenced some of his selections on Saturday, actually, whether he's rested a couple of players just to keep him fresh for... Uh, Tuesday, um, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, mass. That's <laughs> said on the fan cam on Saturday that you know the season has gone to plan when a third round Carabao Cup <laughs> a Sheffield Wednesday will dictate like the, how the rest of the campaign can pan out. You know, and I think uh, it's that important. It's a massively important game for Silver and, and the club, um, and we dare not lose, shall we say. With City coming up, I think the City game will be a lot easier in terms of the atmosphere if we win on uh, on Tuesday. If we don't, could the could the win, Paul? Then you know, not not to get too far ahead of ourselves or, or anything like that. But a win, get back to Goodison at the weekend and get our side on and, and get the crowd behind us. I mean, if it's on such a, a knife edge, isn't it? You know, you you don't win tomorrow and it, it's. Very, very, very difficult to kind of, you know, start seeing where the season goes from here. But, you know, win and, and, and you set yourself up and a good performance against City and you probably are roughly back to where we was at this stage of last season. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, tomorrow's massive to echo what the lads have said and the performance, just, just win. You need to win tomorrow yeah. for, for the the season and probably for Marco as well. But even if we were to win on Tuesday and then put up a valiant performance against City. The bigger game after that's Burnley for me because I still think we're papering over the cracks. I thought, I, I know I went to the game and I kind of got this the feeling on Saturday. It was never a bad atmosphere, but it never felt the support was true today. It was almost like saying to the players, right, you've let us down a couple of times this season. Show us what you can do today. And then obviously they failed badly. They just got to win tomorrow night because there will be serious questions raised after it because as we've, we've not written off like finishing in the top six yet but the evidence so far suggests that 
we're probably not going to do it. And to be out of one of the two comp- cup competitions at September's would be absolutely dreadful. But there's still big questions to be asked. To me, City on Saturday, it's not a free pass because it should never be a free pass at Goodison. Fair but point. it's it, whatever, whatever we do on Tuesday, I'm not expecting to get anything on Saturday. To me, we have to win on Tuesday, see what happens against City and then go to to Burnley and win before I even probably start thinking, oh, well, we're back on track. Could, could be, I mean, I hope it's not a case of history repeating itself, but last year was in the Millwall game just before the City game. Yeah, around that time, wasn't it? And we, got, yeah. we got, I think it may be in the first game after the Millwall debacle. Yeah. And but in pretty much the same place. Yeah. Going into the Millwall, the Man City games this season is what we were. That the last season, what we are going into the, the Sheffield Wednesday Man City games this season. So, just hope that you know history doesn't repeat itself. Is it just difficult, bees? Because you know we are sitting here and kind of talking about a season as a whole and, and a manager's kind of not his future, but you know where the general direction of his his tenure is going to go. Six games into a season. Yeah, because um, Everton have. I've spent a lot of money. There is a, a, a great expectation. It's all changed, really, from from the David Moyes era and the old uh, knife-into-a-gunfight mentality where it was the, the underdogs and um, the team often being greater than the sum of the parts. It's almost like it, it's gone full circle. This was something Michael Ball was saying in his column earlier with me, which obviously readers will be able to see later. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's early days, but given that the fixtures, they were given a relatively... Kind set yeah. of fixtures, it would seem, and they they had done well. I don't like all this talk of obviously winning the transfer window, but <laughs> other than um, <laughs> not re- recruiting a centre back, which is a, was a glaring error, but it's not there that's hurting them at the moment. Yeah. They, they, no, they they they'd recruited well. There were people were excited about the signings they had made, and there was an expectation that yeah, get off to a good start. It'll set the t- tone for the season like the season when they did finish fourth because because they'd started so well they sort of built the momentum from there and they gained the confidence from there and there was a feeling that maybe something similar here getting the points on the board early doors and then it would um, set the tone for a successful campaign now playing catch up already I know it's only much early in the season but you know it doesn't look good for 14th in the table after those set of fixtures with, with tougher games to come just to finish then custom any predictions for the game <laughs> Tomorrow, don't envy anyone doing this one. Paul, I'll start with you. You've got to, be, you've got to try and be positive. I'll go for a 2-1 Everton victory. 2 on the Blues. I've got to be positive. No, just, just don't care. Just <laughs> get three. Penalty shoot out. Oh, no. Penalty shoot out. Oh, no. I've just got... Uh, Pickford uh, to score the winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with... Everton. It has to be Everton, doesn't it? Everton to win. Penalty shootout. Evans oh. will penalty shootout. Yeah, yeah. Are you, you going to go for it, Pickford? <laughs> no, no. I'm going to say 2-1, same, same as Paul, because I don't think they're keeping a clean sheet. What are you going for? I'll finish with a... Uh, it's so difficult, isn't it? 3-1. 3-1, hopefully. I've got no idea. <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll keep that one planned. 3-1 the Blues. got no idea what kind of team he's, he's going to play or anything like that, but as you... As you've all said, I think the crucial aspect is to get through and then hopefully later on in this week we'll be building up to the Manchester City game with our names in the hat for the next round of the Carabao Cup. Thank you very much for listening. You can join us on the Royal Blue Facebook page. Give us a like on there and rate, review and subscribe over on Acast. We'll see you later in this week, hopefully, with a more upbeat and positive podcast. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.